In this episode, we'll be talking with one of Missouri's premier bike builders and fabricators, Randy Lewis. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas, and of course, any random thoughts that pop into our head. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen. Honestly, I, I, I can't even believe I'm actually letting you into my place, but since you're already here, we might as well do this. What up, dog? I understand that's what the kids are saying these days. What's up, Craig? How you doing today? Well, I guess I'm all right. I mean, you know, you're in my place yeah. and that's disturbing to me well, right out of the gate. You're still ugly, so there's that going for you. I don't mind being ugly so long as I'm prettier than you. Yeah. So, you know, I got my standards. We've got the sweet radio faces, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so well, what got you into motorcycles? So I guess the the part that I remember fondly, and it seems funny because I grew up in a house that, you know, we had a dirt bike and had crap like that. But, you know, my dad had a motorcycle way back in the day, but I never saw it. And honestly, he's one of those guys that just different lifestyle for the different times. Did he not ride? He rode a little bit, but, you know, he had a chopped out um, Honda 750 is what it was. The inline fours, just kind of pretty quintessential 70s type dude. Instead of having a, a Harley, it was a, you know, it was a 750 Honda. So anyway, had a huge long front end. I remember them telling the story about my mother's dad just being pissed about her date name because of that stupid bike. It was loud. It was obnoxious. It was dangerous. They Both were, of those are the best kind. Yeah. See, that's how I feel about it. Uh, so anyway, they, they tell me the story about him, you know, coming up the drive. They lived in Colorado at the time. So it was a big mountain drive and they could hear him coming forever. And my old man liked to drink alcohol at the time. And, you know, he was a, he was a rodeo guy too. So, you know, he rode bulls, rode Bronx. That's what he did for a long time. In fact, that's what got us to come to Missouri in the first place. So that's, I think that's the first story I remember hearing about a motorcycle period, other than just being into them. You know, I was a kind of a big car guy. I always liked doing cars, whatever I could with them. I was always into it. But anytime I was around a big group of cars and there was one or two motorcycles, whether it was the stupidest little, you know, 250cc or big cool chopper or anything, I was always drawn to them. Couldn't get away from it type of thing. So anyway... If memory serves me right, I think I was about seven or eight, you know, maybe as old as nine. Um, down here where we live, there's a, a little town called Fairgrove, and they were building an interchange to where it switched from two lanes to four lanes, and then it went on to, a, you know, Springfield. So anyway, I remember being in the back of my mother's car and just hearing this crazy roar coming up from behind us. Couldn't figure out what it was. So we make the we make the detour onto the four lane, and as we go onto the four lane, motorcycles just pass us on both sides. And right then and there, I was like, that's me. That's what I'm going to do when I get older. It's got to be that. Anyway, I just thought it was cool, the idea of doing whatever the heck you wanted to do at whatever time. You know, not necessarily, you know, this isn't the wild ones where they're talking about the old movie where they're talking about how anybody on a motorcycle is a criminal type. But, uh, you know, just the idea of the freedom of being able to go where you want, do what you want, and just being on two wheels, it just was super attractive to me. So as we're following the the whole big group, you know, it's not like they were out breaking all the rules or anything like that. But, you know, it was almost like they were in sync as they passed cars. The whole group would get over and they'd get back together. Um, it, it was just 
I don't know, just mesmerizing for me. And from that point on, I knew I was going to have it, you know, as many motorcycles as I could possibly afford. It's kind of like a drug. You got you <laughs> just a little bit and get you hooked. Yeah, yeah like and going pull you in, going to the other side of the tracks and getting you a little bum bump. Yeah, and then uh, you just got to keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got started when I was five years old. Dad was a uh, a body and fender man. You know, repaired wrecked cars and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, so he was pretty handy, and he bought him uh, bought well uh, us one of those kit mini bikes that you put the old Briggs and Stratton engine on. Yeah, buddy. And, uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, uh, on your block, if you didn't have a mini bike, you weren't, it. you were, you just weren't <laughs> anything. You, you had to have a mini bike to be the shit. Yeah. And so he built us one of those and, uh, little, uh, Briggs and Stratton with a straight pipe. So it was good and loud. You gotta have it loud. Well, what's the point? Why bother? Right. right. And then, uh, I guess after that, um, my first experience with a real bona fide motorcycles, uh, Dad was a real family man. So everything on the weekend involved the kids. You know, the old cab over mm. camper, yeah. going to Big Bear Mountain, huh. or going out to Salton Seed in California to uh, ride motorcycles. I so can just he, see that now. You, with your long hair flowing in the wind, with a shirt that says good vibes only, just head out the window. It was the, the six, early 60s. There was yeah. not a lot of long hair, <laughs> <laughs> like a crew cut. Yeah. <laughs> um so you but, had your east wings and your pants rolled up, huh? Exactly. And so he bought a uh, an old Honda CT90. Some people call them like a Trail 90 little yeah. step through. And, man, those bikes would go anywhere. They're not fast, but they were built for ranchers down in South America originally. Hmm. And so he had one of those, and it had a rack. It had a single seat with a rack on the back. Well, of course, I couldn't touch the ground. So my older brother, he would ride on the rack. Dad would put a pillow on the rack, and he would ride on the rack just to keep me stable. He thought the greatest thing in the world would be when he was coming back to the camper and we was going slow enough that he would jump off and I would be on my own without <laughs> telling me, of course. Yeah. And um, so that was my first Fourier into a real motorcycle. And, of course, I couldn't stop because I couldn't reach the ground. So Dad had to run alongside and grab the bike. The best part of that, the most memorable experience I, I can remember is the beating my brother took. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, the best part of anything. Yeah, you it is. I mean, it was all worth it. Yeah. And then from then on, you couldn't keep me off a motorcycle. It's just like you said, man. It's just a drug. It's just something about being on one. And, and I don't know. It just I guess some people have it and some people don't that, that draw to them. Exactly. I mean, my very first car when I was 16 was a 67 Chevelle 396 SS. And uh, I was into motorcycles so much, I had it for four months. Sold it. Stupid. But I <laughs> sold it and bought a Suzuki T250 oh. two-cycle, two-cylinder twin. Dang, man. And just a ring-a-dings. Remember those? I love the ring-a-dings. Oh, yeah. You can't find them anymore. Man. But uh, you couldn't keep me off a motorcycle. The only thing better than that was the two-cycle, three-cylinders. I had it. one. Did you? Yeah, it's called an H2 Kawasaki 750. Yeah. Dangerous, most dangerous bike I ever rode on or ever had. Uh, they're scary. On paper, it seems like it'd be a great idea. Not so much. <laughs> In fact, they did, they stopped making them because the sales were so poor because they were a great bike. They're just, just too much. Yeah. The I torque on that. them, the uh, on the front forks, 
and where the forks meet the frame, they had a uh, from the factory a uh, torsion bar on it. Dang! Because when you hit the throttle on one of those, it would pull real hard the front uh, to the right. Ah, uh, because just and the so torque. It, yeah, and so you had to supplement. I looked uh, actually the other day online on eBay and other sources to try to find me one of those. Yes. Can't find it. <clears throat> nah, there's one out there somewhere. You just yeah. got to look hard enough. Yeah, somewhere. but And somebody's not going to give it up, though. Yeah, probably. You ain't got enough money to buy one, I guess. Evidently not, but, you know, one can dream. <laughs> so, you know, money's no object. Tomorrow you win the, the, the Mega Millions, the Powerball. Mm. You can only be allowed to buy one bike, and then your wife gets the rest of it. Yeah, that's a tough question. There's so many bikes out there that, that I plan to own or build or have or, or what have you. Um, but I just, I just kind of got this old soul type of thing. So I think I'd have to go with, I'd probably have to go with a vintage Harley, you know, something, gosh, I don't know. I'm honestly not partial to one year or one model or anything. Obviously everybody's going to say, well, you got to get a knucklehead man, a pinhead brother. But, you know, I've had them all, rode them all. I just, I just don't think that I'm attached to just one bike. I I mean, I could take and ride a, you know, 30s knucklehead or a 40s panhead or anything like that. And then I could jo- go jump onto a KZ650 or a KZ1000 and equally be as enthused about it. So I don't think that I would be satisfied with just owning one motorcycle for the rest of my life or being able to buy just one. But I'm kind of feeling like I would almost... I would be really, really drawn just in the place that I'm at right now is for a uh, old BMW, I think is what I'd oh, buy. Yeah. You know, my uncle's had, my uncle rather, had Moto Guzis all growing up. Um, Love that's all the Guzis. All I ever heard about was Guzis. There's a Guzi right there. I see that. But uh, I'm kind of just thinking right now from where my mind has been with designing a couple of different bikes that I've been wanting or whatever that I think I'd go with an old BMW just because I'd love to do something with one. What about you? Well, if we're going under the premise that uh, you can only have the one bike, it would be a bike that I could ride if I wanted to, but mostly it would sit in my office. Mm. It would be a Vincent Black Shadow. That's a nice bike. I think, yeah. That, I that, think it'd be okay. You look, know? but don't touch. <laughs> yeah. So. You see, with that premise, though, and maybe it's just my wife hates this about me because I'm always thinking about how can I fractionalize everything down. If I could only buy one motorcycle, I would buy the most expensive motorcycle I could possibly find. So, oh, turn and around and sell it. Sell it. And get a, and a dozen. buying a ton of bikes is what oh, I yeah. do. That, See, now you're thinking. Knowing me, that's probably what I'd end up doing. Uh, it's just It's just a thing that I've got, and I don't know what it is about it, but... You know, if you look at the recent history with me, I've owned, I don't know, in the past year or two, I've probably owned five or six trucks, vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> That's the growing uh, joke around here. Yeah. It's, what, it's, what's he driving today? Exactly. I'm just a poor white kid from the middle of nowhere, kind of a nobody from nowhere type of attitude. And and I, I just have to buy one, get it out of my system, do what I want to do to it, and then send it down the road and get the next one. So... Until I'm in a spot where I can own them all at the same time, that's where I'm at. And honestly, I'm super happy with it. You know, right now I'm driving an old 88 square body Chevy four-doored with a Cummins diesel motor in it. And nobody else has got one of those. But, you know, I've had, recently I've had as new as a 14 Jeep Wrangler that was all modified. Had Mega Cab Diesel, Toyota Tundra. I mean, it's just, 
I've had nice new vehicles, but there's just something about the yesteryear that gets me. Yeah. We live down a mile long dirt road and my wife said, Randy's here. We don't see him yet, but I hear his just truck. Wait for it. Wait yeah. for it. Wait for it. He's be coming around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is me, I guess. Uh I would, like for me, I, I've gotten old enough that my materialistic things, uh, I like to keep it simple. Yeah. I just don't need it. I had, I've been there, done that. The old saying goes, yeah, uh, it doesn't interest me anymore. But, you know, I would like to collect bikes. That would you know, be amazing. There's a rumor around. I think it's, I'm sure it's true. I don't know who it is. And it's, the guy is keep keeping it secret. And I would too, if I was him. But there's a guy around here somewhere that has, it's been said to have a uh, a barn or a, a, a steel building somewhere that has a lot of motorcycles in it. It's his collection. That's his. He's retired. Mm-hmm. So I'm told. In fact, so I'm I, told. So I've told that you may or may not have seen. Yes. In rumors. Fact. In fact, but that's what I would like to do. I mean, that would be my crazy thing. Just have. I'd like to have all the bikes I've already owned once, because you know nostalgia. Yeah. I wished I didn't sell that. I wished <laughs> I had my BSA. I wished I had that Kawasaki H2. Yeah. Hindsight, right? 2020. Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, rumor on the street is, is this, he's a pretty cool guy, laid back, um, kind of right now, currently into vintage motocross racing stuff. Um, the guy travels back and forth between California and here and he'll go out there, buy some bikes up, bring them back here and fix them or buy some bikes here and take them out there and fix them up. He just kind of, Another one of those guys that just, that's all he does is eat, sleeps, and breathes, just vintage motorcycles. But the thing about him is, is in this guy, is, it's vintage Japanese and European motorcycles is what it is. So, and by what I mean by vintage, you know, we're also getting up in years to where 70s and 80s seem vintage or 80s do rather. But it's, I mean, it predates 50s, 60s, 70s, and some 80s, but mainly through the 70s is, is kind of where his niche is. Now he's kind of getting into the 80s motocross um, dirt bikes and stuff, and he's got some cool ones, and he's got some stuff that, you know, even I was taken back by, by not, you know, not ever seeing them. You know, you get those old magazines and you look through them and you see these guys running trails or running bikes, and it's these types of bikes that are sitting there in real life in his garage, in his shop rather. It's a, I mean, it's a decent sized building, but it's just plain Jane, and that's, that's what the going thing is, is about this guy. You know, I was telling you about dad would always take us out on the weekends and it got to where we were pulling a trailer and we got into the motocross mm-hmm. thing on the weekends. And uh, I wished I had some of those, you know, the old Honda Elsinore 125. Oh, man. Uh, dad had a Mako 501. Mako? Really? A Mako 501, which it, it scared the hell out of me just to watch it start up. <laughs> uh, but... Um, you know, it would be nice to have that. Just to even look at those things, and you can't even find them to, you know. Yes, that, in my opinion, I think you know you're kind of hitting on that. Is just the idea of being able to touch something from the past that was one time in its prime and is still just ridiculously cool. Maybe to only people like you and I, but you know, the idea of where where everything came from to me is really attractive. Exactly, it's the appreciation. Yeah, yeah. So. Now, in your shop, you do a lot of customizing. I know you've done some work for me, and, uh, and of course, you know, not just customizing. You, you do a lot of uh, maintenance and an overall bike shop, but I know that your favorite thing to do is to kind of build something from nothing. Yeah, when right. a customer says, I don't care what you do, just yeah. call me when it's done. 
Yeah, those are those are my favorite ones. Um, I'm not saying I'm the most creative person in the world or, you know, I'm not a savant by any means. But what I take pride in is when I do a custom bike for somebody, it's got to fit them. I don't give a shit what magazine it come from or, you know, a style or someone else building a bike or anything like that. Like to me, you know, if I was to sit down and build you a custom motorcycle, I'd like to kind of get to know you. What's, you know, what's what's important to you? What, you know, what really sends a motorcycle home to you? And then instead of just going out and, you know, flipping through the catalogs and looking at other paint schemes from other builders or other people or what have you and doing that and just saying, yeah, here you go. This has kind of got some of your stuff. Now I'm not saying I'm going to take you like through the Orange County chopper years where they would take and do builds for companies and put all their stuff on them and trinkety stuff. Like, I mean, like, you know, just stuff that speaks to you. Like currently I'm doing a 1950 pan head for a kid. Yeah. We've got videos of that on uh, OzarkRides.com. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, but it was his father's bike and kind of what we did with it is, is I wanted to make it kind of personal to him. So we built it kind of off of what his father would want. And the two things that I just think aren't necessarily kitschy cool, but just kind of will always stand out in this guy's mind is, I did a neck stretch and rake and, and metal work onto it. On one side, I've got the kid's name airbrushed onto it. And then on the other side, I've got his father's nickname airbrushed onto it. Super subtle. It's not, it doesn't stand out. So I don't feel like it's tacky or gaudy or anything, but just one of those things that when he looks at it, he's going to remember, you know, back in the 1980s, this, my dad's ass was sitting right here riding this motorcycle. And now I am. And then, you know, this How guy, can that not be just cool? Yeah, it's it's bone chilling is what it is. Um, and then the other thing with it, and this is kind of something that I don't know if it's cool or if it's corny or what, but I was doing the teardown on the motorcycle. And the only thing that there wasn't a ton salvageable as far as body panels or seats or anything like that. I mean, we saved a lot. It's the original frame, motor and trans. Um, but a nickel just fell out of nowhere. I mean, I was taking the seat off and there was nothing underneath the seat, pulled the battery out and everything. And just a nickel falls onto the ground, does the whole roll around thing. And it lands right in front of me. So it's kind of odd and it kind of spoke to me a little bit. So it's got a four speed ratchet top transmission. And on those, the speedometer plug is a big cap that comes. If you're sitting on the bike, it's the front left part of the transmission. So what I did is when I sent everything out for chroming, I had that nickel chrome with it. And we're not running a speedometer because, you know, who who cares how fast you're going? You know, you're just there to ride, I In guess. In the 70s, you didn't use a speedometer. Right. I mean, this bike is, it's as minimal as possible. So I took that chrome to nickel, put it underneath the cap of the speedometer um, where it would normally go, screwed it down and tightened it up. And now it seals off that old speedometer hole and his dad's nickel's there with him. So... Just another one of those things that a piece of his father is always going to be with that so motorcycle. So you now you you do realize now the the bike is haunted, yeah. <laughs> haunted or blessed, whichever one you want yeah. to look at. Yeah, yeah. 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 potato, potato. <laughs> correct, correct. So one of the things I like about what you do is, and maybe it's not even uh, recognizable to the average rubbernecker, is it's things like that that are just a little different. Yeah. Somebody that really is into bikes and stuff like that, they're going to notice right away. And even if they don't notice right away, in the mind, they're saying, oh, wait a minute, there's there's something askew here. Something is off. And they get to inspecting it a little closer. But the cool thing about what you do is you don't go out and buy parts. 
I mean, I could go out and buy parts for my bike. Well, if they made them. Yeah. And, yeah. and slap them on. Anybody can do that. Correct. Anybody can buy, can buy a body kit and put it on, send Correct. it off to a painter and you're done. What I like that you do is you make it from scratch, custom. Who's that guy that I like? I can't even remember his name. Never can. That TV show. Ian Ruzel. Ian Ruzel. Yeah. Um, yeah. His program on TV, uh, on MAV TV. Is, I can't remember the name of his show, but you're right. I mean, he's. Don't go to the store and buy it. Make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what's cool. Well, granted, I, I'm young by today's standards or by most people, you know. All you're my, young by my standards. Yes, I guess you should right there. All my friends and all my buddies or the people that I click with or talk to are usually not my age. Like I'm, I would much rather hang out with somebody. Is it because the people your age won't have anything to do with you? Most likely, you know, either they got their skull <laughs> cracked by me or I told them to flip off at one point in time. But uh, no, honestly, I just, I just feel like it's a, a different generation is really what speaks to me. And I remember thinking, you know, growing up thinking about wanting to build bikes and wanting to build cars and things like that. You know, tooling is amazing. I'm a tool freak. Love it, right? But the problem I have with some stuff today is it's it's just like it's easy to go to a computer. Well, I say easy, you know, for the people that do it, it's probably easy. For me, it'd be like, you know, you know, monkey and a hammer on the computer. That's just not who I am. But anyway, what I'm saying is it's it's, it's easier to take a design or an idea in your mind, rough sketch it out, give it to a computer guy, blow it up on a print. And then take it to, you know, like on the on the West Coast or whatever, basically it's Arizona right now doing the, the bagger scene that's real huge. It's easy to come up with a design and a style, take it to a place that does like injection molding. And stamp it out. Yeah, and they stamp, just start banging out parts. Now, if you like money, that's freaking awesome. You know, that's lucrative as hell right now. I mean, it's making parts is really honestly where the industry's at right now. It's not... It's not like back in the day where you got Billy Lane and Indian Larry and people like that and uh, Matt Hotch building one-off parts, one-off pieces like that. You know, that's a thing of the past, honestly. You make no money doing it. It takes a crap ton of time. The generation right now just doesn't appreciate that stuff. But but that's what got me is just like, dang, you know, you look at a 4 by 8 sheet of, you know, 16, 18, 20, 22 gauge, whatever sheet metal you're, you're hammering it out of, and then they make something just that's super badass and just super clean and just that to me is what is the best then you start looking at some of their tooling and it's a freaking oxygen acetylene bottle cap on welded onto a stick you know it's a rod and hammers and wood stumps and sandbags and things like that where you know you have got to beat this thing into submission to make it come out right and for me, even though I'm, I, you know, I'll, I'll admit I, I'm the worst at it. Probably I'm crappy at fabricating stuff like that. In comparison to some of those names that I just give out, I, I don't know. You know, you did the work on my bike, ninety five percent of it, and I'm not exaggerating when I say I cannot take my bike out ever, and I haven't been able to go anywhere, and stop and get gas or some water or something, and somebody say that's cool. Who did that? I've never seen that before. And you know, and I know, nobody will ever find another bike that looks like mine. No. If you see it going down the road and I'm not on it, it was stolen. <laughs> that uh, is true. But, I believe but, they'll take it to you. But everything know. is handmade because they don't make, frankly, parts for no. a 2003 Victory anymore. Right, right. Not, not to the extent that you have done. Yes. And 
you know, that's what I like about it. You can go in there and say, I have an idea. This is what I want to do. And you make it happen. I never have once heard you say, eh, you can't do that. I've heard you say, that's a dumb idea, but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's your pocketbook, whatever you yeah. want, buddy. But uh, no, it, it that kind of just hits back on what I was saying. You know, it's, I've got a certain thing that appeals to me, but who am I to tell you what you should have or shouldn't have? You know, If you want unicorns and crap all over your motorcycle, if that's what's going to get you and like make you want to ride this thing, let's put some unicorns on this thing. Dude. Yeah. Like I don't care as far as that goes. It's not, I'm not having to live up to a certain standard or a certain, you know, um, there's a guy named Billy Mitchell out West and he does only one style of motorcycle. Like it's just his style. That's it. I commend him for it. You know, he's a, he's a pretty righteous dude. You know, he's been doing it a long time. Ex Exile choppers is what his shop yeah, name yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. You know, he does the same thing over and over and over and over again. People love it. You know, people get a kick out of it, whatever, but, but they go to him knowing that that's what yes, they want. They go to him knowing that this is the type of bike they're going to get and which is great, you know, good for him. He's 10 times better. And, you know, I'll probably never ever in my lifetime be as good as a guy like that or anything. But for me, it's just more about the personalization. It's kind of like, you know, come bang some ideas around with me. I'll tell you what I think is rad or cool. And, you know, you tell me what you think and let's draw this thing out or let's just map it out or whatever. And, Let's just see what happens, man. Let's just roll with it. I like that idea. Yeah. But you talk about styles and we can, we can look back through time and, you know, I'm again, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm the best or greatest at anything. That's just my personality. But, you know, I can like Jesse James, OCC choppers, Billy Lane, you know, Matt Hodge, um, even Arlen Ness and, and people like that. You can always look at all their motorcycles and throughout you know, the predicate them beginning to them at the end, you could say, oh, that's a, you know, that's so-and-so's bike. And I think these guys started out that way. But one big difference is, is these guys, if you'll watch these shows and, and, and know how they operate, they have shops that have, you know, these great big hydraulic hammers and, and benders <laughs> and mandrel benders and things mm -hmm. like that. Where you go into your shop, you got a hammer yeah, and, and, and a vice. It's old school blacksmithing is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's because I'm just a poor kid or if it's because, Probably. you know, I just, because I think it. I know you, I think if you had oodles of money, there would be some cool tools in there. There would be, I'm always looking to up my game and, uh, and try to figure out how I can make everything a little bit better. So obviously with tooling, you know, yeah, if I had a, a digital pipe bender and stuff like that, or you you'd know, use it. Yeah, I, I would. Now, I, I would like also be able to It's like that 70s bike. The whole purpose of that was to build that 70s bike yes. we were talking about the way they would have done in the yes. 70s. Yep. And so it was done the old-fashioned way. Yep. I, I fully feel like things have got a soul with them and, you know, uh, call it whatever you will. But, you know, I wanted to do that bike in the traditional way of how they would have done it back then. For more than one reason, it's like I said, I'm always looking to grow and always looking to learn and always looking to experience new things. And just to say that I did a bike that was like the 70s, the way they would have done it in the 70s, and I banged it out as good, if not better, than anyone did back then. Yeah, now, obviously, I'm not, a, I'm not a Denver's Choppers or, or Sugar Bear guy or anything like that. But, you know, okay, it's so just... Now, now that we've basically turned this into a, a commercial for bike oh, works... <laughs> 
Uh, Why don't you do the shameless plug and tell them where you're at and how to get a hold of you? Just, sure, be, just because sure, sure. we've we've already gone there, so let's just get it over yeah. with. Well, I didn't fully intend. I never I intended for that to happen. This actually but, wasn't uh, planned. Uh, no, I mean I'm at Bike Works. It's spelled a little bit different. It's B I K E W O R X. Uh, we are an LLC. I'm in Urbana, Missouri. Uh, I share a little restaurant parking lot. You know, my father-in-law owns Mr. Ed's Diner. It's right there. I got a little little shop and. You know, little shop, big expectations is kind of what I do. Yeah, like half of your day basically is wheeling the bikes out of the shop so you can have room to work. Yes. I mean, I think in my little 20 by 40 shop with a couple little add-ons here and there, I've got right now I counted, I don't know, 31, 32 bikes and a couple of four-wheelers. So it's it's just, it's an eventful day, we'll say the least. Exactly. Actually, I enjoyed talking with you today. Yeah, it was a great time. It was fun. And great time. Perhaps we can do it again. I'd love to. Uh, Anytime, know, man. You know, just given warning. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we'll have Savante and cigars. Ah, I like your attitude there. Although I'm kind of a simplest guy, give me a Marlboro and some Jack Daniels or some Maker's Mark, and I'll be just as happy. But, you know, I'll, I'll take your high-end stuff. <laughs> well, as you can see, there's no high-end anything in here. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. Hey, thanks for having me. In the next episode, we'll talk about the new Harley-Davidson Livewire electric bike. And who knows, maybe we'll even come up with some other random thoughts. <laughs>